Genesis chapter 21, oh, we're getting this microphone thing worked out, and we're continuing our study in the book of Genesis. We've been learning from the life of Abraham, and uh, I'm really looking forward to benefiting uh, more from this account in the scriptures here. In Genesis 21, already in this chapter, we began to see at the beginning of the chapter, it was a time of celebration. The long-awaited promise that God had given to Abraham was fulfilled when he had his son, Isaac. But it was also a time of transition, because when Isaac was born, that meant something else became true as well. Ishmael had to go. They couldn't be joint heirs together. And we began to look at that two weeks ago when we were in this passage of Scripture, and we concluded in verse 14, last time we were together in this passage, uh, learning about how Abraham began to send off Hagar and Ishmael, and that's exactly where we're going to pick up the narrative here today. And so Genesis chapter 21, beginning in verse number 14. And uh, if, if uh, somebody would run a battery down to Brother Bill and you'd bring it up to me, I'd appreciate that. I'd like to try to use this microphone. Genesis 21 and verse number 14. Let's start reading there. If you're there, say amen. Let's read together. The Bible says, And Abraham rose up early in the morning and took bread and a bottle of water and gave it unto Hagar, putting it on her shoulder, and the child sent, and, the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of where? Beersheba, or however you want to say that. And the water was spent in the bottle, and she cast the child under one of the shrubs. And she went and sat her down over against him a good way off, as it were a bowshot, for she said, let me not see the death of the child. And she sat over against him and lift up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the lad, and, and the angel of God called to Hagar, thank you, out of heaven, and said unto her, What aileth thee, Hagar? Fear not, for God hath heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him in thine hand, for I will make him a great nation." And God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the bottle with water and gave the lad drink. And God was with the lad, and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. And he dwelt in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took him a wife out of the land of Egypt. As we read this passage of Scripture, one of the things that begins to become uh, very clear to us is that when Hagar came to Beersheba, it was the end of of the line for her. It was the end of one road for her. But little did she know it was also going to be the beginning of a much better road. We all come to junctions in life like Beersheba. And God has some things he wants us to learn while we're in places like Beersheba. And it very well may be that some of you might find yourself in a place like this today. And I want us to pray together and ask God to use what happened in Beersheba to help every one of us in our own lives. So let's bow our heads together and ask God's blessing on our time together in the scriptures. And let's pray together. Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you for the opportunity to be able to worship you. I thank you for the truth that we have already heard in the songs that we have heard sung and have, have sang together. I thank you for the encouragement we've received uh, from shaking hands and being together with brothers and sisters in Christ and friends. And I pray, Lord, now that as the word of God is open, that you would open up our understanding by the working of your spirit. I pray that, Lord, those who don't know you 
Uh, your spirit would work on their hearts, calling them to trust in Jesus, uh, the well provided to sustain us in the wilderness. I pray, Lord, that you will bless our time in the scripture now. Pray every spiritual need that is present in here, whether known or unknown, will be met today through the power of your word and your spirit working. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, Beersheba, let me transition to this real quick. Let's see if we can get this thing going here. Can you hear me now? Man, I'm going to be sad. It would help if I turned it on, Chris. It's actually my fault. I keep turning it back off. That's my problem. <laughs> I'll figure this thing out eventually. It's not like I use this thing every week. Yeah, it's like a math problem. There you go. There you go. But Beersheba, if you look in the map at the back of your Bible, uh, which you don't have to go back there. Some of you might have that there. But Beersheba is a barren region on the southern border of Israel. We actually have a picture of, uh, uh, well, not that picture. Go back a couple, right there. That picture right there is actually a picture of some of the ruins that are in Beersheba. And it was a very desolate place on the southern end of Israel. And with little rainfall, the area relied, because of how barren it was, on wells of water to sustain the people who lived in that area. And it's actually the fourth most populated area in the nation of Israel today, but it certainly wouldn't have been back in Abraham's uh, time. Uh, and we actually have a picture of one of the wells that is in Beersheba. There's a picture of a well that's there in this desolate uh, wilderness type of a place. The only reason people could live and abide in that area was because of the wells of water. And the wells were very valuable. Uh, they were very valuable things at, at that point in time uh, because there was just not a lot of natural water that came down. And so it was on the southern end of the promised land, the nation of Israel. In fact, when you get later on in the scripture, often you'll hear the phrase repeated from Dan to Beersheba. And it's talking about the, the northernmost and the southernmost borders of Israel. And so, the, so Beersheba was, was the end of the line, so to speak. It was on the southernmost end. If you went to Israel today, there is an ancient Hebrew route that you could be taken on a tour through that runs right through the middle of the land of Israel. And I'm probably going to butcher this, but it's called the Derek Ha'avot, which means the way of the patriarchs. And some of you have probably... Uh, been to Israel, and, and you know a little bit of what I'm talking about, but can you show the picture of that map up there now? Now, you can see this is, a, this is kind of a, uh, not the greatest picture, but you can see all the way up at the top uh, uh, is, is Hazor, all the way down to Beersheba. Beersheba is at the bottom. And so it was the southernmost route, and this was the route that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they went to all of these different places, back and forth, frequented throughout their uh, patriarchal journeys. And so they're noted still in history as, as being in those places. And, and Beersheba was the last place the farthest south that Abraham went. It was really the end of the line. And because of its existence of wells and the, and the desert that was further south than it, it was really the last place people would stop to get water before they'd go into the desert. And so both in a physical sense and a spiritual sense here this morning, you understand that Beersheba, for many people, it was the end of the line. It was the last stop. And interestingly... It was in this desolate place that so many of the people of God experienced life-changing encounters with God. You listen to me this morning. Perhaps God has put you 
in Beersheba today. The end of the line. The end of the road in your circumstance in life. I'm here to tell you this morning, God may have put you in Beersheba. And you may not like being there because you feel like your life as you've known it is over. But God very well may have put you in Beersheba today to show you the end of one way and the beginning of a way that is far greater. And so what lessons does God have for us to learn today in this place called Beersheba? Our text begins in Genesis chapter 21 and verse 14, and it begins with telling us about how Abraham kicked Hagar and Ishmael out of his home. The Bible says in verse 14, if you're still with me, say amen. Amen. The Bible says in verse 14 that Abraham rose up early in the morning and took bread and a bottle of water and gave it unto Hagar, putting it on her shoulder and the child, and sent her away. The Bible says that she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. Hagar was cast out of a place that she had called home for over 20 years, if you can imagine such a thing. And for most of her life, she had been a slave girl. She didn't have anything of her own. She didn't have a family to go back to that she knew of. She didn't have anything, any possessions of her own. And she was sent away from Abraham with just a bottle of water and a loaf of bread. That's all that she was sent away with. She had nothing to her name. And so she took her son and she left Gerar, where Abraham was staying with all of his caravan. And she started going south, just wandering in the wilderness. She didn't have anything else to do. And in the truest sense, Beersheba was the end of the line for Hagar and Ishmael. They didn't have anything else to do when they arrived in this place called Beersheba. And this is further exaggerated and demonstrated as you go on in the text in verse 15. where The Bible says, And the water was spent in the bottle, and she cast the child under one of the shrubs, and she went and sat down over against him a good way off, as it were a bow shot. And she said, Let me not see the death of the child. And she sat over against him and lift up her voice and wept. Hagar had been sent away from Abraham with next to nothing. Uh, and that was important spiritually because Ishmael was not to be a joint heir with, with, uh, with Isaac. All of it was to go to Isaac by what God had told Abraham. But they were sent away from Abraham with next to nothing. They traveled down into this wilderness area. And when her limited resources that she had were gone, the Bible indicates here that there was nothing else that she could do. And so the Bible says she put her son in the safest place that she could find. And then she walked off the distance of a bow shot, and she just began to cry and to weep because there's nothing else she she could do. She was at her wit's end. She's at this place that's supposed to be uh, the last place you're supposed to find water before you go into the Negev desert, and yet she couldn't even find any water there. And she's at her wit's end when she arrived wandering in this this wilderness of Beersheba. So we can see here that they had nowhere to go. They had nobody to turn to, and they had nothing more that they could do. Have you ever found yourself there before in life? You didn't know what else to do. In a place like Beersheba, you didn't have anybody else to turn to. You had nothing more that could be done on your part. Perhaps you might find yourself in that position today, and I tell you this morning, God may have allowed you to wonder to your Beersheba, the end of your road today. 
just to show himself strong on your behalf and to show you that there is a better way forward. I like what the Bible tells us in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, and verse 9. It says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong on the behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. God wants to show himself strong in the position that you find yourself in today as well. And so, yes, Hagar and Ishmael, they were at the end of the line in their life. They were in Beersheba. But praise the Lord that when they got to the end of the line, it was there that God met them. Notice what the Bible says next in verse number 17. Let's read the first phrase of verse 17 together out loud. Are you ready? Let's do it. And God heard the voice of the lad. God heard the voice of the lad. Now notice, God didn't hear Hagar crying. But the Bible says that God heard Ishmael crying. And you teenagers, listen to me this morning. Especially because Ishmael at this point was, was a young man. He was likely 14 or 15 years old at the time this passage of Scripture is being spoken of. And what the Bible indicates to us here is that Ishmael, hey, he didn't have anything else he could do. He was just a young man. He didn't have anything else he could do to help his mom. But he did exactly what needed to be done. He cried out to God. Now, sometimes I've heard people say, well, I guess there's just nothing more we can do I guess there's just nothing more we can do than pray. Really? Is that all you can do? I propose to you, prayer ought not be used as a last resort, but as a first option. Prayer isn't the least you can do. Prayer is the most you can do. There's nothing more you can do better than come to an almighty God who can reach down and assert himself in your situation today. And so often we look at prayer as being a last resort when it ought to be our first option. I like what the Bible says in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. It says, be careful for nothing, but by everything with prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Hey, God tells us, don't be worried about anything. Talk to me. Pray. That's what God tells us we ought to do. It ought to be our first response. I like what one preacher said about that. He said, we as the people of God, we ought to turn every care into a prayer. Every situation that we face in our life. And boy, this was an encouragement to my heart this week as I've been studying and reading through the Bible. With many of you who are on the same Bible reading plan that I am on. But this is something God spoke to my heart about this week. Hey, prayer is giving your impossibilities to a God with whom nothing is impossible. That's prayer. God can do anything. Prayer isn't the least you can do, it's the most you can do. And Ishmael cried out to God. And the Bible says in response to Ishmael's voice being heard, God responded immediately. Notice the next verse. The Bible says in verse number 17 that God heard the voice of the lad and the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said unto her, What aileth thee, Hagar? That word aileth, it means troubleth. What troubles you? What's wrong? What aileth thee, Hagar? Fear not, for God hath heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him in thine hand, for I will make him a great nation. Get this, in this moment of desperation here, where Hagar thought she was all alone, and there was nothing else that she could do, she heard just what she needed to hear. What did she hear? The word of God. The word of God. And as God called out to her, he told her four things, essentially. 
I'm going to tell you these, and we're going to come back and, ap- and give application for each one of these. If you're, if you're taking your notes this morning, you can write these down. These are essentially the four things that God told Hagar. The first thing he told her, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. The second thing he told her, I am still God. I still see you, and I still hear you. Here's the third thing he told her. My purpose for you is not there. It's here. And here's the fourth thing he told her. I am going to lead you where you need to go. And we're going to go back and understand why each one of those are significant in just a minute. But before we do that, let me just remind you, this isn't the first time Hagar found herself in a situation like this. Remember last year when we looked at Genesis 16? We're in Genesis chapter 16, and when Sarai had cast out Hagar for the first time, she found herself once again wandering in a different wilderness. She she had already been to this type of place before. And if you remember in Genesis 16, it was there in that wilderness that God once again met her. And God revealed himself to her as El Royi. Hey, the God who sees me. And then God told her, That child that's in your womb, I want you to give him a name. I want you to call him Ishmael. Remember what Ishmael means? God hears. God hears. So when God appeared to Hagar earlier in Genesis 16, he told her essentially two things in that first wilderness experience she faced. He told her, Hagar, I see you and I hear you. I care about you in the situation that you find yourself in. Hagar had already been to this place before. She had already come to know God in this way. And let me just tell you something. In your Beersheba today, in your end-of-the-line situation that you find yourself in today, God desires to remind you about these same truths that he reminded Hagar about in this situation here. Number one, he wants to tell you in your situation today, don't be afraid. See, the Bible says in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Fear doesn't come from God. We have no reason to fear when God is on our side. If God be for us, who can be against us? And the fact of the matter is, you can choose today to fear the things that you cannot control. Or you can choose rather to put your faith in a God who has everything under control. The option is yours. Psalm chapter 27 and verse 1. I love this verse. The Bible says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Friend, I don't know what the situation is that you're going through or that you may go through very soon down the road. But when you come to Beersheba and you're tempted to fear, you need to be reminded about a God who can take care of you in any situation. He has it well in hand today. So God wants to remind us today in Beersheba, don't be afraid. But notice number two, God also wants to remind us that he is still God. I am still God, he says. What does that mean? Hey, I still see you and I still hear you. Remember, Hagar had already come to know God as El Royi. And as the God of Ishmael. The God who sees and the God who hears. And Hagar, when she arrived in another wilderness and another difficult time in her life, she needed to be reminded that God still saw her. And that God still heard her in her situation. 
I like what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter number, uh, Psalms chapter 34 and verse 15. It says, the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. Can I tell you something? You may feel alone in your situation, but God sees you and God still hears you. And God can still help you in your situation today. Hey, God said, don't be afraid. God said, I'm still God. I'm still here. Don't worry. The third thing that God reminded her of is, hey, my purpose for you is not back there, but here and moving forward. Now listen to me. Hey, so often when we come to the end of a road in life, think about it. You turn down a dead end street, you come to the end of the road, what's your first inclination? I need to go back. I need to go back. And Hagar, in that situation, all she could focus on was where she'd come from and everything she'd lost. That's what happens to us in our situations of life as well. We're so focused on the past, we can't even see that God still has a brighter future for us. Something beyond what the dead-end road has been for us, whatever it might be. And yet God met her in this situation to remind her that he still had something better ahead Friend, the Bible challenges us in the book of Philippians with this truth right here. and instructs us to forget those things which are behind. Reach forth to those things which are before. And to press for the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Can I encourage you with this truth this morning? Leave the past in the past. Let God take you forward. You say, that I don't know how anything could be better than what I had. Let God take you forward. See, the Bible says in Jeremiah 29 and verse 11, the Lord said, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. God already knows the end from the beginning. He already knows where he wants to take you to, and the place he wants to take you to is for your good and for his glory. You can trust him. God told Hagar, and God's telling you today, my purpose for you is not back there. It's here and it's moving forward. Trust him. Here's the fourth thing God told Hagar and that God's telling us this morning. Listen to this. I am going to lead you now where you need to go. I am going to lead you where you need to go. And that's what God told Hagar here at the end of what he had to say to her there. The Bible says that God, uh, in verse 18, it says that he told her, Arise, lift up the lad and hold him in thine hand, for I will make him a great nation. God told Hagar, hey, it's time to get up. It's time to go forward. I've got something great for you in the future. I've got something I'm going to lead you into. I'm going to make him a great nation. The fact of the matter is, friend, you are not alone in your situation today. You may feel all alone at the end of the road. You may feel all alone when you're in the wilderness of Beersheba. But the fact of the matter is, God wants to meet you there and give you hope and give you help and show you a pathway forward if you will listen to him. I like what the Bible says in Isaiah 41 and verse 10, one of my favorite verses. It says, fear thou not, the Lord says, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. That's an encouraging truth. And friend, if you find yourself in a place like Beersheba today, the end of the line 
in some circumstance in your life, God wants to meet you there and give you these words of hope if you will hear them from him today. Now going back to Genesis chapter 21, I want you to notice that after hearing this encouraging word from God, notice what happened next for Hagar. This is in verse number 19 where the Bible says that God, what? Oh, God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water and she went and filled the bottle with water and gave the lad drink. Now this spot touched my heart this week especially. Understand something? The whole time Hagar was sitting there despairing for her life, despairing for the life of her son, the whole time she was sitting there thinking like it, acting like it was all over, God already had a solution in place. She just couldn't see it. You ever been there before? A problem comes up in your life. You think it's all over. And then it's like a light bulb goes off and, oh, it was right there the whole time. The answer was right there the whole time. But Hagar, in that moment, she thought it was all over. She couldn't see a pathway forward. But God had the solution there for her the whole time, even though she couldn't see it. And so it's when she came to the end of herself, the Bible tells us that God opened her eyes so that she could see there was a well there to sustain them. And let me tell you something. If you find yourself in a place like Beersheba today, the end of the line, the end of the road, and the circumstance that you're facing in your life, let me encourage you with this same truth God tells us about Hagar today, because it can be true for you as well. While you may think your life is over, God already has a solution in place for you as well, though you may not be able to see it. Hey, listen, if you're lost and wandering in the wilderness of sin today, can I tell you, God's already provided a well to sustain you. It's Jesus. Jesus said in John chapter 7 and verse number 37, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And friend, if you find yourself lost in your sin, feeling rejected and condemned by God here this morning, I've got good news for you. There is a well that can save you from the, from the dryness of your soul here today. It's Jesus Christ. He's the living water. And He can save you from your sin and sustain you in the wilderness that you find yourself in today if you will just put your faith and trust in Him there is a well not far away. You may not have seen it before, but friend, you can come and draw from it today. You can come and draw from it today. Now some of you, you already know Jesus. And you still may come to a place like Beersheba in your life. And I just say to you this morning, if you will just trust in the word of God being spoken into your life today, he will open your eyes to a solution. And that solution... He's already, he already has in place. He already knows need, what needs to happen in your situation. Your only obligation is to trust him. You come to your dead end before you just turn around. Maybe you should stop and consider the way God wants you to move forward. See, the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 3, and verse 5, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Just trust the Lord. As we move on in the text, I want you to notice that God didn't just sustain Hagar and Ishmael. He didn't just get them by. He had something so much better for them on the other side of the wilderness of Beersheba than what they had ever known before. 
Why? Well, before, they, their needs were all met, but they were living in slavery. On the other side of Beersheba, hey, their needs were more than met, and they were living in freedom. There's a significant distinction there. I don't know about you, but I'd rather live in freedom than slavery. So the Bible tells us going on in verse number 20, it says, And God was with the lad, and he grew. Now that, that word for grew is a Hebrew word, gadol. That means he became great, or he became a powerful man. And he grew, and he dwelt in the wilderness of Paran, and, uh, in the wilderness, and became an archer. And he dwelt in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took him a wife out of the land of Egypt. Hey, the Bible simply tells us that through all this hardship in Beersheba, through all this hardship in the wilderness, God was with them. You want to know why they made it through? Because God was with them. And they trusted him. And he brought them through. And I'm going to tell you something. God wants to bring you through your circumstance as well. Don't jump the gun. Don't come to the... Don't, don't think that it's all over. Don't stop trusting God now in the situation you find yourself in. Trust him. God will be with you. I'm going to think that that's the reason that they made it through, because God was with them. Uh, I, I thought this was interesting. The wilderness of Paran was the same wilderness where the children of Israel had the exodus wandering. When, when they were wandering on their way uh, uh, to Kadesh Barnea before they went into the promised land, this, was, this, was, this would have been the same wilderness that they found themselves in. The same proving grounds uh, for the people of Israel. The same place where Ishmael ended up as well. And oftentimes, hey, God will put us through similar types of situations in life. But what is always the same, what is always consistent, is the God who is always there to sustain us, sustain us through the wildernesses of life and bring us through to the other side. And I say to you this morning, God can bring something so much more wonderful out of your time in the wilderness than what you ever experienced before you went into it. None of us like to go through the wildernesses of life. But God always has a reason for why he allows us to go through them. You can't change your past. You can't change what happened. But you can change your perspective about what happened. Let God be God in your life. So often we want to tell God, well, that should have never happened. We want to change things that have taken place in our life. God knows what's best for you. Let God be God in your life. Let God shape the circumstances of your life because when God's the one who's in charge and you're letting him have his way, you can be fully assured that what is going to transpire will be for your good and for his glory. Romans 8.28 tells us, and we know that all things work together for good to them who love God and to them who are the called according to his purpose and that is a reassuring thing. Now, we're not done in Beersheba yet. There's something else that took place in Beersheba I want us to note very quickly here from the Scripture. This takes us back to Abraham. Look with me in the Bible in verse number 22. If you're with me still, say amen. amen. The Bible says in verse 22, And it came to pass at that time that Abimelech, well, there's that guy again, and Phicol, the chief captain of his host, spake unto Abraham, saying, God is with thee in all that thou doest. 
Now therefore swear to me here by God that thou wilt not deal falsely with me, nor with my son, nor with my son's son, but according to the kindness that I have done unto thee, thou shalt do unto me, and to the land wherein thou hast sojourned. Now some of you weren't here for this, so I'll catch you up to speed very quickly. In Genesis 20, Abraham moved from his home in the northern area of the promised land down outside of the promised land to a land called Gerar. It became the nation of the Philistines later in the history of Israel. And this guy, Abimelech, was the king of this region where Abraham had went to go live for a while. While he was down there, his wife was a beautiful woman. And he was afraid that the people of the land were going to want to kill him to be able to get to his wife. And so he lied and he told him that Sarah was his sister. Well, that caused problems for King Abimelech and all of his citizens because, hey, Abimelech took, him into, took Sarah into, into his household with the intention of marrying her. And so God cursed Abimelech and all of his citizens for what Abimelech was going to do there. That was a fiasco of a situation that God brought them through. Now Abimelech comes back. And guess where he, guess where he met Abraham at? Beersheba. That's where they were at. He met Abraham here in the wilderness of Beersheba. And Abraham was still living in Abimelech's country. And, but we find that when Abimelech came to meet Abraham here in this situation, that he took the chief of his army. Why? Well, as Abraham had lived in the land, Abimelech began to notice something. God was blessing Abraham. Abraham was beginning to become greater and greater. Likely, the band, the tribe that Abraham had was becoming threatening to Abimelech and to his nation. He thought, wow, they're getting as big as we are. We need to make a peace treaty with them unless they try to come and take us out. He was a, he was a worldly man. This was his mindset. So he brings the, the, the general of his army, his chief captain, and he comes and meets with Abraham in this situation right here. You know, this encourages my heart because, yes, Abraham made some mistakes in his dealing with Abimelech. But Abraham lived by faith. And as he lived by faith, in spite of his sometimes failures, God still continued to bless Abraham. So much so that God even brought a man that was his enemy into peace with him. It reminds me of what the Bible says in Proverbs 16 to verse 7 when it says, When a man's ways please the Lord, it's only possible through Jesus, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. Now, I don't have time to hit all of these things, but I'm just going to mention this here. It's interesting to me that when Abimelech came to Abraham, he said, I want you to promise me something. The first thing he asked Abraham to promise him is that you're not going to lie to me anymore. And we talked about this when we preached earlier about that passage where Abraham lied to Abimelech. But Abimelech never trusted Abraham again. Can I just remind you, be careful with your integrity. Trust is hard to gain, easy to lose. Hard to gain, easy to lose. And as much of a man of faith as Abraham was, he lost that trust with Abimelech. And Abimelech never trusted him, never trusted his kids, as we'll see later in Genesis 26. Be careful. Be careful with your testimony. It's a good reminder of it here. And so Abimelech asked Abraham to show him the same kindness that he had showed to, to Abraham. Abimelech could have retaliated, could have tried to punish Abraham for getting him into all that trouble. Abimelech hadn't done so. Now, 
Granted, Abimelech hadn't done so because God said, if you even touch him, then you're toast, buddy. Let's not make him more noble than he actually is. But Abimelech comes to him and says, I was nice to you, so I need you to be nice to me. You're becoming a great, you're becoming a great tribe, and we're feeling a little bit threatened by you. And so let's make an agreement that we're, that we're not going to raise our hands up against each other. Let's make a peace treaty here. And uh, that, that teaches us something right there as well. Hey, one of the best things you can do for the people around you in your life is to give them the same kindness that they've showed to you. Jesus put it in this way in the Gospel of Luke. He said, as you would that men should do to you, do ye also to them. We often call that principle, anybody know what it's called? The golden rule. It's a good standard for how you treat other people in your life. Hey, treat other people the way you'd like to be treated. We understand now, on this other side of the cross, we have a better motivation for treating people. We treat other people as Christ would. Forgive as Christ has forgiven us. Love as I have loved you, Jesus said. But that's that principle seen in this passage right here. And so this was an important point in Abraham's life. Now get this. This is where Beersheba comes into bearing here. God was teaching Abraham how, as he lived by faith in this world, he was also to live at peace with the people of this world. And in this sense, Abraham experienced the end of the road and the beginning of another in Beersheba. If you would allow me to draw out this application here, Abraham experienced the end of dealing falsely with others in the beginning of living honestly. He never had another struggle with this recorded in Scripture after this juncture right here. And this was an important part of Abraham's spiritual journey and growth in the Scripture. And so the Bible tells us that after hearing King Abimelech's proposal, that Abraham agreed to it with almost no reservation. The Bible says in verse number 24 that Abraham said, I will swear, okay, I'll agree, but... Verse 25, before he did so, the Bible says, Abraham reproved Abimelech because of a well of water, which Abimelech's servants had violently taken away. And Abimelech said, I wot not what had done, who hath done this thing. Neither didst thou tell me, neither yet heard I of it, but today. Now, I'm running out of time, but listen to me quickly on this, okay? Abimelech was mad at Abraham for lying to him about something, Okay? Abimelech comes and says, now I want you to promise me you're going to tell me the truth from here on out. And you're not going to hurt me, my kids, or my kids' kids. And Abraham said, okay, that's fine. But hey, you know that well over there? We need, your people stole that from my people. We need to work this thing out. And Abimelech gets up and said, oh, I, I didn't know anything about that. The emphasis of what's happening in the scripture is, hey, later on in Genesis 26, we find out this was a regular thing that happened for Abimelech and his people. They were good about going and stealing wells. You can be very well sure here today, Abimelech did know about it. But he acted like he didn't. Do you see what's happening there? The exact thing he was trying to accuse Abraham of was the very thing he himself struggled with the most. Being honest. And I want you to write this statement down in your notes. I've already put part of it in there for you. But this is the application right here. Listen to me. We're often the most critical of the very thing 
we struggle with the most. We're often the most critical of the very thing we struggle with the most. Jesus talked about this in Matthew 7. In Matthew 7, verse 1, in your notes, it should be in there. It says, judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the, uh, uh, the, the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Aren't we really good about this? you got a speck in your eye. And I'm going to criticize you to the ends of the earth to make sure you know about it. Meanwhile, there's a toothpick hanging out of my eye. We're going to talk to you about the speck that's in your eye. We're really good about this. I remind you something today. As long as there are people in the world, there are going to be problems in the world. As long as there are people living in your home, there's going to be problems in your home from time to time. As long as there's people in the church, people in your workplace, there's going to be problems from time to time. But you listen to me here. Before you look to criticize or correct someone else for their problems, you would be wise to first search your own life. And this is what the Lord expresses for us in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. And the Bible says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Thou that preachest another shouldn't steal, do you steal? Oh, we're good about calling people out for their issues. But it's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. That's the type of spirit and attitude that we ought to have when it comes to these types of uh, things. We ought to be willing to search ourselves first before we're willing to call out the offense of another person. And so we see that Abraham and Abimelech, they made this agreement together. Verse 27, it says, And Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them unto Abimelech, and both of them made a covenant. And Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves. And Abimelech said unto Abraham, What mean these seven ewe lambs which thou hast set by themselves? And he said, For these seven ewe lambs thou shalt take of my hand, that they may be a witness unto me that I have digged this well. Wherefore he called the place Beersheba, because there they swear both of them. Hey, you know why the name, is called, what the name of this place is called Beersheba? Beersheba means the well of the oath, or the well of the sevenfold oath. Earlier in the book of Genesis, we talked about how they made covenants in those days. They would take seven different animals and, and cut them in half and then, and, and then make a pathway in between the, the two parts of the animals and they would walk through and that's how they would seal covenants. I'm glad we just give our signatures on a piece of paper nowadays, okay? I don't know about you. But they made this covenant together. And Abraham included in the contingency of the covenant that that well that they were contested over was his. And it's interesting, sometimes you read stuff like this in the Bible and you wonder, why was that put in there? But for the nation of Israel, the Scripture, many of the things written in the Scripture are not just given for spiritual application, but they're given for physical record. There are physical promises listed for the people of Israel in the Bible, and this would be an instance of one of those things taking place here on the pages of Scripture. Now, after all this took place, verse 33, the Bible tells us, and Abraham planted a grove in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God, and Abraham sojourned in the Philistines' land many days. As a reminder of the covenant that was made in Beersheba, the Bible says Abraham planted a tree. We actually have a picture of one of those trees. We can put that up there, Chris. A tamarisk tree. Uh, it, it, it is a tree that's made of very hard wood. 
and uh, has, has evergreen leaves at the top of it. It was significant because that tree that Abraham planted there was a reminder of the way that he had come to know God in that place of Beersheba. See, the Bible says he called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. Abraham had come to know a lot about God in his journeys. He had come to know God as El Shaddai, the almighty God, the all-sufficient God. He had come to know God as, as the God Most High, El Elon. But here, through this circumstance, the Bible says Abraham came to know God as El Olam, which means the everlasting God. The God who has been, is now, and will always be the same. The God everlasting. And can I tell you, as God brings you through the, the Beersheba type of situations in your life, He wants to reveal Himself to you so that you will begin to know Him more intimately as well. See, it's through these circumstances of life that we begin to see the faithfulness of God on display for us. I'm thankful that, hey, though I go through ups and downs in life, triumphs and failures, I'm thankful there's one that's always the same. The everlasting God. The Bible puts it this way in the New Testament, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. And I'm glad that He is the one that is always there to sustain me. Hey, one of the things we learn in the Beershebas of life is that God is faithful and that God keeps His word. He is faithful and He keeps His word. And I'm thankful that's the type of God that we serve. Hey, even when you're not faithful to Him, He's faithful to you. Even when you leave Him, He'll never leave you or forsake you, the New Testament says. Even when you don't know where he is, he knows right where you are. Do you find yourself in a Beersheba-like place in life today? The end of your road. You don't know where else to go. God very well may have brought you to your dead end. Not so you would try to go turn around and find another way. But so you would throw your hands up and say, God, I don't know what else to do. And turn in dependence upon him. And friend, when it comes to your soul, listen to me. You cannot be saved until you come to the end of yourself. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. Through the finished work of Jesus Christ. When you come to the end of your road and you don't know where else to go, what else to do, there is a well of water God has provided for you, Jesus Christ, the living water. He can quench the thirst of your soul nothing else ever has. If you trust in Jesus Christ today, you can be saved. You come trust Jesus, you can be saved today and have that longing in your soul filled and satisfied in a way that you have never experienced and you never will experience from anything else. And Christian, if God's brought you to a place like Beersheba today, the end of your road, he's brought you there, hey, so that you'd be reminded of this. He has a way forward for you. But it starts when you stop trying to find your way yourself and you putting your trust in him. Don't be afraid. 
the Lord says, I still see you. I still hear you. My purpose for you isn't back there. It's here. It's moving forward. And I'll lead you on if you'll just trust me. You find yourself in that place today, trust in the Lord. He is well able to lead you forward. Trust in the Lord. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed this morning. I wonder if you'll come trust in El Olam today, the everlasting God, the faithful God who'll keep his word today, Christian. How many of you would say, Pastor, God has spoken to my heart today. I'm in a situation like what you described. And boy, I needed something in that message today. That was for me. Would you please pray for me? If that's you, would you raise your hand? Many hands raised. You can put them back down. I want to give you a chance to respond. And in fact, if you need someone to pray with you, we have men and women ready to pray with you. You could just come and pray yourself at the altar. That's fine. If you'd like someone to pray with you, I want to encourage you to come. And I especially want to encourage you to come if you don't know Jesus. You feel like there's a hole in your heart, a longing in your soul. Nothing else is ever satisfied. Today, Jesus can satisfy it. If you'd like to come pray with one, one of the men or women that will be up here, we'd love to pray with you and help answer your questions. And even if you're a Christian and just need a brother or sister to pray with you, I want to invite you to come during this invitation.